Michael Eafley in context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. For the psalmist to say, my, in a first person pronoun, is more than possession. This is a very unusual phrase. In fact, as the Old Testament develops as a careful student, you don't talk about Yahweh as my God. You say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. You don't say my, it's, it's too casual. It's too familiar. But David is not being familiar or casual. He's being intimate. He's my king. This is my God. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. How personal is your God? When you think about approaching God, when you think of praying or going to church or going to some, quote, place, close quote, where you are coming near to God, is he a personal God, a personal Savior? I think too often from childhood, perhaps storybooks or pictures we generate in our mind, we construct an image of God who may not be that approachable. And somehow, as we mature in the faith, we need to see God as the Scripture reveals him. As we read the Old Testament, the personalization of my God, my Lord, my Savior is not something we read a lot about until the time of David. Of course, it's in the Scripture, but unlike any portion of the Scripture in the Psalms, we begin to read this personal address from the psalmist to God. Welcome to our new series, Living Life from the Heart. These messages were originally given at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove, a fabulous venue in Asheville, North Carolina, and I have been privileged to speak there on many occasions. And these messages came from the Psalter, from the book of Psalms. And we begin the series from Psalm 5. Now, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it today. This is good material to take notes on. We'll look at some specific mechanisms we read in the Bible. And sometimes we read over these verses so quickly, we miss the rich texture of the writer. Now, keep in mind, the Psalms were built on structure. When you and I think of a song or a hymn today, we think of rhyme and meter. And when you're teaching it to a group, obviously, it's the rhyme and meter that makes the song memorable. So if you hear a song on the radio, you can pick up the lyrics pretty quickly. Well, the Psalms were different. The Psalms were built on structure. We don't have an English or technically even a Hebrew rhyme, so to speak. So as we study the Psalms, it's important to look for the structure. And I promise you, as you start doing that, the Psalms will come alive to you. They won't just be these repetitive phrases, but you'll see the repetitions and restatements that are making a point so the worshiper will not forget. In the same way, when you and I hear a song that rhymes, we remember the lyrics. So let's take a look at Psalm 5. You'll hear some personal info about the Easley family as we begin this series. So let's pick up the program in progress. It's great to be at the Cove. I'm humbled to be here. Uh, It's a great privilege. It's a lot more fun this year for me since Cindy is with me. So it's always, uh, she keeps me in line and um, it's great to just be away without the children. Uh, We do have four kids. We have three daughters and one son and I have one uh, wife who, um, if she was to introduce herself, she would say we have four children, all from different fathers. 
because three of our four children are adopted, and I'm the only biological father of number one, so it always gets a stir. But um, anyway, that's the Easley clan. We're doing great in God's kindness. I have resigned from Moody. Most of you probably know that now. It's been a, a, just a phenomenal uh, privilege to be part of Moody, but after two back surgeries and uh, the, the surgeon telling me the worst thing I could possibly do is be on a plane for the rest of my life, which is what a lot of Moody entails. And so the trustees have been extraordinarily kind uh, to keep me on salary and benefits while I get some medical attention this last, these last few months. And we've kind of run the gambit with that. I'm okay. I do live with chronic pain, and that will just probably be there. So um, anyway, but God is good, and uh, i got a great wife who shovels snow. So it's true, and that's why we're moving to Nashville. No snow to shovel. Well, um, when you come to the cove, you sort of put on the feed bag, and you will graze from now on. Psalm 5, open your Bibles. What I'd like to do in these four sessions is look at a couple of psalms you probably don't know, and some maybe you do. Psalm 5, Psalm 65, Psalm 110, and Sunday morning we'll finish with Psalm 101, probably my favorite psalm in the Psalter. The psalms are full of narrative, of story, of prose, of lyric, of what we would call a Hebrew rhyme, in that they are structural, not necessarily rhyme like we would sing a song. Many of the songs Marty sang are metered, they're cadence, they have rhyme, they have structural repetitions. Uh, hymns, of course, are, are, are full of these type of devices. Why? Because when you sing a song that rhymes or is, has a lilt to it or a cadence, you what? You remember it. You can hear a song on the radio, if you can understand the lyrics, and in a very short while, you will have most of it committed to memory. The Hebrews, uh, of course, learned the same way we do. Most of your psalms are broken into structures, two, three, five parts, all types of structural devices. I'll show you just a few of them, but I hope to get you started. Um, these texts were the Hebrew hymn book. We'll talk tomorrow a little bit more about some of the, the labeling of your Psalter, but I want to jump right in to Psalm chapter 5. You follow, I'll read. I'll be using the New American Standard this weekend. It is in the handbook if you don't have that right copy of the Word of God. Um, for the choir director... For flute accompaniment, a psalm of David, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly Watch. All right, now this psalm I have called in your little outline here, Morning, the Morning Prayer for, for Protection. Not really a, a great title, but it's a wooden title and it reflects the psalm well. It breaks neatly into three parts. They're on your outline, the cry for help. Uh, the second part, you, can, you can't stand, but you will or can bow. And lastly, the psalmist asks to be led in his righteousness. And I'll repeat those so you don't have to worry about trying to write these things down. Now, we know from historical books that a lot of the Psalter was composed at David's order. In uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 16, David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives the singers with instruments of music, harp, music harps, 
Lear's loud-sounding cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Cindy and I were driving from Knoxville today, and we stumbled across a public radio interview. I don't remember the physician's name, but he's a, he was a neuroscientist, and he studied music and how it worked with uh, people's brains. And it was fascinating, the number of people that have perfect pitch. How many of you have perfect pitch in this room? There's got to be a few. Some of you have perfect pitch. And, and they don't know why people have perfect pitch. But they said some people, uh, they just know G. Marty, you have perfect pitch? No, sir. No, okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But I wouldn't know a G from a C or a Z for that matter. But if I look at a shirt and say it's blue, I have to think about that. And they said the same type of of neural network going on in a person's brain helps them identify songs. And it's all math. If you uh, know anything about music, it's all mathematical. The psalmist that David appointed were, look at it, the, the relatives, the singers. Seems like there were some genetic predispositions to some of the Levites that they were musically adept. And so these uh, writers, these were not um, prehistoric people who were making out strange percussions. These people were musicians. And they were skilled and talented in extraordinary ways as they write the psalm. We might envision an ensemble. We might envision a group of vocalists. We might envision uh, a period piece instruments. Some of these, we're not sure what they are. Some of these, the ethnomusicologists have a pretty good idea of what the Hebrew instruments were like. So if you look at the superscription here, you see the word flute or wind instrument in Psalm 5. We don't know what it means. It's just totally a haphazard guess by Hebrew scholar wannabes. Nobody knows what it means. The best we can determine is it is some type of instrument. Uh, the Hebrew word is a little complicated. Now some of you are, are well accustomed to hymns. Of course, that's the only Christian songs to sing are hymns. And if you know, there are two signatures at the top of a hymn in a hymn book. Uh, you sometimes read like Finlandia or Falkirk or some others. That may be, in my tiny little guesstimation here, more of what some of these superscriptions, superscriptions mean. Because the Hebrew did not depend upon uh, memorization by uh, rhyme. They depended upon structure. And it was the parallels, the repetitions, the, what we'll talk about later, chiasms, devices that bring a point, all sorts of, all sorts of clever, uh, superintended pieces of poetry that helped the Hebrew mind learn. My estimation is the pious Jew had most of the Psalter committed to memory, not because they were just brilliant. They had no television, no internet, no presidential debates, no, um, <laughs> no thing to distract them. And the pious Jew would sing. And it is not unrealistic to think that many of these were the, not the top 40, but the top 150 tunes. And some of them may have been similar the way our hymnals are penned. Um, when, we, when we start with the Psalter, we need to remember that all the emotion of David or Asaph or whoever wrote him, all the emotion is on the sleeve. 
Some of these are individual laments. Some of them are corporate, meant for public worship. Some are very complicated to identify how they fit and what they mean. This particular psalm is going to talk about a number of themes. It's going to talk about, on the one hand, uh, the prayer that God should hear and listen to our cries, um, that evil people don't harm us or come in and hurt us. And, of course, we live in a culture where we're fearful of people and fearful, we, we live in fear as a people. Uh, the psalmist is going to talk about his desire to worship, and he longs to worship. He's going to pray for the wicked to be destroyed, and he's going to pray for protection. Let's look at the cry for help in verses 1 to 3. Hear me. And technically this prayer is, God, be just. Technically, the author is saying, uh, you're God, you're sovereign, why aren't you acting in a just way? Implication, there are injustices going on. If you look at verse 3, you'll see twice the phrase, in the morning. We call this a morning psalm. I think it's more than just he's going to be disciplined and devoted each morning to get up and pray. I think he's waking up with a preoccupation on his mind. He can't not Think about it. He awakes and it harasses him the moment he opens from his slumber. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. This is consuming him. Now let's look at some of the parallels so you can start to see them. Some of you know this stuff backwards and forwards. Some of you perhaps have never seen some of these in your Bible. And this will hopefully prod you on to your Bible study. Look at verse 1, give ear, and there's two strophes in verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord. The second strophe, consider my groaning. Give ear is parallel to the word what? Consider. He's saying, give ear to me. Well, it's almost the same thing. Consider. There's a parallel theme. Give ear to my words, and the second strophe, consider my Groaning. So the word, words, are parallel to the term groaning. Look at verse 2, the first strophe. Heed the sound of my cry. The parallel continues. Give ear, consider, and heed are all parallel thoughts. The word groaning, my cry, uh, and my words are all parallel thoughts. So where we would expect a rhyme... Blessed is certain, Jesus is mine, oh what a fortune. You know, all, all, the, all the words that we'd remember, uh, the structure and the repetitions and the parallels are how the Hebrews would remember things. The cry is underscored with a list of imperatives. These are terms that stick out in our verbal vocabulary. Hear the words. Groaning is a very interesting word. It's an inarticulate expression. Uh, because I live with chronic back pain, I moan and groan a lot. Cindy will often say to me in the morning, you didn't sleep well, did you? Well, how do you know? Well, every time you turned, you groaned. Well, that's an inarticulate sound of pain that I'm going, oh, I don't even know I'm doing it some of the time. Some of the times I do it just to get attention. But uh, these are inarticulate words And the psalmist, it's the same for him as it would be uh, for you and me. They long, the word has a hint of the word burn, that, Lord, I'm groaning to you, I'm consumed with this thing, and he's addressing him with these parallels. Notice that in verses 1 and 3, he says, O Lord, my king and my God. Now, the word king in Hebrew is melech. 
You know, the Melchizedek, which we'll see in another psalm, Melchizedek, and Elohim is the second word. For the psalmist to say, my, in a first-person pronoun, is more than possession. This is a very unusual phrase. In fact, as the Old Testament develops as a careful student, you don't talk about Yahweh as my God. You say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. You don't say my, it's, it's too casual. It's too familiar. But David is not being familiar or casual. He's being intimate. This is my king. This is my God. Over against the culture's gods and idolatrous natures and propensity for multiple gods, unlike those, he's my king and my God. And whenever you read the word king, remember, it is the king of Israel, David, writing this psalm, saying, the king is saying, my king. And if this is used in a corporate worship setting, the king valiantly is putting the attention on not himself as king, but on my king. And he's leading Israel to remember, I'm just a chosen servant of Yahweh. He's my king and he's my God. It's one thing to be intimate and personal in our approach, but I fear we become too casual. Um, sometimes when I hear young people pray especially, men and women in their 20s and 30s, I almost wince. They're just too chummy. Now, I understand a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I understand that he calls us his friends. I understand that uh, we read uh, some cry out Abba in their heart, dad or daddy. I understand that. But there's a difference between respect and awe and a cavalier familiarity, isn't there? Um, I have never met Billy Graham. I've corresponded with him when I first came to Moody. I asked him to come. I asked him to do a video, and his health was fading, and he wrote a, a splendid note that I still have. But um, even, even though his name is Billy, it just seems too casual to call him Billy Graham, doesn't it? There's, there's a respect there. There's an honor there. Um, but you don't call the president George you don't call the president Bill. You don't call the president Obama. Uh, you call them president. And that, that is an appropriate title for certain people. You call them and you honor them. Now, the only reason I'm stressing this a little bit, and most of you are probably further down the road, and I am with your walk of Christ, but there needs to be a holy approach to Christ. There needs to be a worshipful response. Even though he's my king and my God, because I've trusted Christ and Christ alone, I've put my faith in Christ to do for me what I cannot do for myself. There's nothing I can bring to my salvation. I've trusted by faith. I've believed in him, and it's his work on Calvary that forgives me of my sin, that gives me a relationship with him. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it, but I can live to say thank you to him but he's not my pal. He's my savior. He's my God. And I think we need to recast a humility uh, toward the king of Israel. When you and I pray to Father, through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, we are speaking to the very king of the universe. And I suspect, based on what I know in the scripture, if we were to see him, it would pretty well undo us. 
I don't think we'd give him a high five and slap him on the back. I don't think we'd run and get a cup of coffee with him. In fact, it's very contrary in the scripture when we see him. Well, this cry for help is a picture of a cadence. Hear my cry, hear my prayer, hear my groanings, consider my words. He's asking God to listen to him. And then this powerful, intimate, but reverential, my king and my God. He's asking God for his attention. Now, we all have issues and problems. Some of us wake up in the morning. I I do. I don't know how many of you do. But there are seasons, if I wake up at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning, I am up like a start. Any of you like that besides me? How many of you like that? Some of you are like that. You need some more sugar. I can tell. You're starting to fade. You need some more sugar. And and when that when that hits you and you wake up and oh watch see wake up there uh, this is a morning psalm when when you when you wake up like that all of a sudden the thoughts of the day consume you if you're like me you gotta get out of bed and I used to sort of over spiritualize that and say you know God wants me to get up and pray I have to come to the conclusion I'm a warrior I'm anxious. And once my stomach gets going like that, I just got to get up. And I think David was that way too. Whatever it was, whether the context of the psalm is Absalom or an enemy, we do not know. But we do know that morning by morning, it drove David to a place. I wonder how many of us, when we wake up in the middle of the night or early in the morning, earlier than we intended, And that startle, our mind starts to run, our stomach starts to churn, and perhaps you are like me, a to-do list person, an anxious person, let's get up and get going person. It's very frustrating. And over the years, as I've analyzed my own spiritual life, I've concluded, one, the work is always going to be there. No matter how anxious or busy we become, how important we feel by accomplishing a lot, there'll be more work tomorrow. And learning to rest, which is a big part of the Psalter, learning to rest is key for the spiritual life. Uh, Morning by morning when you wake up, what's the first thing you do? My hope, my prayer, and my plea for you is that you get your nose in the book and that you're able to take a deep breath, to rest, to read his word. I often say we all need two things every morning. We need oxygen and caffeine. (laughs) And by oxygen, I don't mean what we're breathing. I mean the Word of God, because it is the oxygen of our life. Apart from an intimate relationship with God, He will be that impersonal being, that faraway construct, that somehow out of reach God who's holy, and I don't know how to approach Him. Well, if you have a Bible and you have a quiet place, there's nothing keeping you from approaching Him. So I want to encourage you, perhaps today, perhaps when this broadcast, when you listen to this one, it's over, that you sit down and just read Psalm 5 a couple of times, look for some parallel structures, rest in what he is doing in his word, know that he's God, know that he loves you, know that even though he may feel out of reach or out of touch, he is a very present God. He cares about you intimately. He loves you completely. He's not mad at you, and he wants you to linger in his word. He wants you to spend time with him. Again, as David said, in the morning, O Lord, 
you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. What a great way when you wake up early and it startles you to say, you know, I know God will hear me. And my part is I will order my prayer. Declarative. I'm going to do something. I'm going to get up and I'm going to order my prayer. And I know that you watch. I know that you care. And I'm going to watch and see how you work in life. And I know that you watch me and care about me. This is Michael Easley in Context. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com. Follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.